0: It's so easy to look at what other people are sharing and think that people did that overnight. I mean, for me, like it, and I actually very conscious of this and in, in my book, when I wrote it, I wrote an eight year timeline of my evolution of onboarding technology. And I just shared that like my first year, all I did was like make video lessons. That took me a year. The second year I thought about like shifting up class format. The third year I started embedding questions into the videos but it's been a progression of years and years for me.
1: Welcome back to the Career Therapy Podcast, where we help you navigate the emotional and promotional sides of the job search so you can change careers with confidence. My name is Martin McGovern, founder and lead coach at Career Therapy, and I'm excited to introduce our guest today. Please welcome Stacy Rochelle to the podcast. Stacey is an educator, speaker, tech innovator, and author of Tech with Heart, leveraging technology to empower student voices, ease anxiety, and create compassionate classrooms. Her work has been featured in USA Today, The Washington Post, CNN, and PBS NewsHour. In addition to teaching high school students to love and understand math, Stacy works closely with faculty to design tech-infused lessons aimed at providing the optimal learning environment for all students. In today's conversation, we discuss the importance of leveraging technology to unlock the potential of introverts, how we can increase our confidence through both learning and teaching, and how to get away from the idea of what we're supposed to do and start doing the things that we're meant to do. Thank you for tuning into this episode and supporting our show. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review or a comment and like and subscribe to share this far and wide. And now for our conversation with Stacy Roshan. Well, I mean, I'm really excited to chat today because, you know, you've put out so much great content about how people can engage students, especially introverted students, and get them to be more open. And I see that a lot in my coaching work where I'm helping people of all sorts. But, you know, as we mentioned before the call, there's this... Uh, question I get all the time of like, how do I network without talking to people? <laughs> and, and so yeah. I, I have so many questions for you today, but let's just start with what's your definition of an introvert? And I know there's a lot of different definitions that are out there online, but how would you describe someone who is introverted?
0: I'll describe myself um, because I very much identify as an introvert and many of the strategies that I've developed have been would have helped me um, and when I'm talking about my teaching, the the classroom that I needed. And so for me, um, one big thing is that I originally was mistaking introverted and shy. And, you know, there's a big overlap there. And what I've discovered is that while I'm not going to be the most social one when we're like out and about, And that is very draining for me to go from conference to conference or meeting to meeting and back to back things are very draining to me. But that doesn't mean that I'm not a very social person. To me, I'm very much more comfortable in an online chat setting. I feel very comfortable connecting on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on other platforms. I find that for me, like having the space to kind of like formulate a response and think and just have that extra processing time makes me really comfortable putting it more of like I'm owning that, um, that pace of things. And so while I'm identifying as an introvert, it's not to say that I'm not social in ways and I'm not a networker. Um, So I think that's been something that's a big, journey discovery for me personally thinking about what an introvert means
1: I love that yeah there's this sort of interesting uh kind of cognitive dissonance that happens when we think about introverts because you'll see people and they'll say that they're an introvert and I'm an introvert as well so I feel like you and I are very similar in a lot of ways where people look at us and maybe don't assume right off the bat that we're introverted because we do you know, we make videos or we'll put out different things and we'll show up places or give talks and things like that. And it it is this sort of odd internal external thing that, that you sort of, it's hard to maybe wrap your head around because a lot of extroverted, a lot of introverted things can still come out as extroverted in the way that you're talking about. And so, you know, it's, it's the difference between shy or where you get your energy from. And I do think that that's an area that we can really kind of dig into here because there's it's maybe used as a catch-all word to describe a lot of different things, right? And maybe it's actually describing imposter syndrome, or maybe it's actually describing being shy, or maybe it's actually just describing not feeling like you're ready for something. Right. And so there's so much in there. Um, and I like how you talked about in your case, it's about taking the time to formulate that response and own your pace. Uh, as you kind of have become, you know, gotten into the world of teaching and you see students going through their educational process, is that how it's showing up? It's like, people just need time to think or time to formulate a response. What what do you sort of see in the classroom as you're working with introverted students?
0: Yeah. I mean, to me, my fascination with technology really began with this idea of like, First of all, giving students more time to actually do work in the classroom. So like thinking about what's the most meaningful use of our face-to-face time together was a big question for me. I use technology to help me solve that problem. And then another source is really like, how can we really create more inclusive environments where we hear from all the different perspectives in the room and we really celebrate all the different types of ways of thinking about problems. So often it is just the person who raised their hand or you know, we confuse a robust and dynamic conversation with a couple of hand raisers in the classroom. How can we really um, make our discussions representative of what everybody in the room is thinking and feeling and giving platforms to every individual so that they can feel comfortable in making their voice seen and heard.
1: What are some of the different styles that you see people engage with, right? So there is the person whose hand is always up in the room, right? Or there's a person that wants to answer every single question, which can actually be a negative, right? Um, Not allowing anyone else to talk. But what are maybe the different styles that you see people leveraging once there are lots of tools to pick from?
0: Yeah. One thing that I've found really interesting was I think it's easy to assume, kind of like when we were starting our conversation, that the person who's quiet in the classroom is like less verbal. Um, but what I found is when I give students the opportunity to record a video response to a question, something as simple as that, go home, record in your own space, record at school, record outside, record wherever you want, just record your response. It's still visible to the entire class. So this isn't about being you know, shy to contribute to a conversation that their peers would hear. But I find that when I give that video opportunity that I hear from students in whole new ways. Like some of the quietest students in class will repeatedly have the longest video responses when I open up that platform. So I think a lot of it to me is just providing multiple platforms for individuals. So you, we have typed responses, we have video responses, we have in-class conversations and discussions, you know, on paperwork, small group work. I just think the importance of, again, like providing these different ways of being able to share whatever's on your mind is so essential. And I think also, you know, like, so I'm talking about it from the role of the teacher, but if I'm talking about it from the role of like that learner, that individual, and this can be an adult or a child, doesn't matter. It's the same thing. It's the same idea. Um, but tapping into like your own creativity as an individual and trying to express your ideas in a way that like really jams with you. And I think that's when people can see like your unique talent. And I think so often we try and fit into this mold of the way to make my voice heard is to be vocal at a meeting or, you know, to share my idea in this big group setting because that's what we're used to. And I mean, that is so often the loudest voice in the room is one that's just heard. But how might you be able to share what's on your mind? in a way that fits you. So for me, a lot of times I do make videos. Sometimes I send a video in advance of something. I really do advocate for um, meeting agendas being sent ahead of time, a detailed meeting agenda so that I can start thinking about things ahead of time. That's my preferred style. And I've gotten to a comfort place um, now to actually request that sometimes if nothing is being shared to say like, you know, I just want to start being able to think about this. And there's other people who don't want to look at that until we get to the meeting and that's fine. But for me, I know that I'm going to bring my best self to the meeting if I'm able to kind of think about things ahead of time, or maybe even make a little video ahead of time. Again, like whatever goes with your personality. And I do think you have to embrace embrace your personality and your style. Um, And that's something you learn over the years.
1: Yeah. I, I like that you're, you're kind of calling out the supposed twos as well. Right. There's um, I remember when I was younger, I would go to these big events, right. These like you know, hundreds of people conferences and things like that. And I would always be that fly on the wall, like person hiding in the corner. And I'd be like, no, you have to go talk to people. You have to go talk to people and like fight that fear and that urge. Right. And I, at, at the end of every like speech, you know how they always open it up for Q and a, and I'm like, you have to ask a question. I would like spend, I would almost not even listen to the speech sometimes. Cause I'm like, you have to ask a question. Right. And I would psych myself up and get so nervous. And maybe once or twice, I would actually stand up and ask a question. I'd be just like pouring sweat by the end of it. And I think that that's such a funny experience because I look back on it and I don't really do that anymore. I, I don't really go to big events anymore. I don't care to ask questions. I just leave the room when I'm done. But where I found my power is, is like follow up with that speaker, send them a nice message afterward, maybe even get a call with them or a coffee with them at some point, and then build that. Like that's a way better way. And that's more comfortable for me than to stand up in front of a room and wonder if the question I'm asking is stupid. Right. (laughs) So, so these are different things that I like that you're saying, like figure out what your power is. And so, you know, throughout your own journey, what were those, what were some of the earliest things that you felt like you should have done that you really struggled with? And how did you find where your power lie?
0: Yeah. Um, So me becoming a teacher was a lot. uh, And the teacher that I've become is a lot um, of things that I would have liked to see different in my own school. And a big thing. Okay. I had wonderful teachers. A big thing is that we didn't have this technology available. And I think now that we do it really like, we need to embrace it because to me technology. And so this is what I talk about all the time and is why I wrote a book. Okay. Like I only my, my goal in doing these things is to share my journey with technology has been that technology can deepen the relationships that we have. So my book is Tech with Heart, and that's what it is to me. And it's written as an educator to educators. It's about leveraging technology to really create a calmer space in the classroom, to empower every voice in the classroom, and to create more compassionate classrooms. And so I think you know a lot of times what people's reaction when they read my book is that like, wow, like I was not thinking about technology as this way to connect because so often we think about technology as a way to automate or offload or whatever it may be. So technology does automate and offload some things, but to me, it's about then like, okay, what do we do with our face-to-face time? How do we leverage the technology to make the best use of our face-to-face time? Um, And it's all about like that relational piece and that connection piece. So my journey began with simply making video lessons for my students, the flipped classroom model where students would watch the video. And then when we came to class, because I didn't have to lecture and stand at the front of the room for so long, I was able to really get around to individuals and I was able to hear small groups work and I was able to allow the classroom space to be much more student owned and collaborative than it could be if I did a traditional lecture. Um, And so, and then, you know, things evolved from there. But to me, it really is about this like, how can technology connect us and make things more human? And I do really believe in the power of technology, but I think it comes with very purposeful design of your teaching, your lessons, your meetings, however you're going to create it. I think it has to be very intentional and purposeful.
1: And for those who might not know all the terminology here, can you explain what the flipped classroom is?
0: Yeah, so again, this is one of those things that I think it has a quote unquote definition to a lot of people, but I think it's very personal. Um, So to me, the flip classroom is about offloading the very teacher directed portion of class to video. In my upper level classes, it's a homework video that they'll watch for homework, equipping them with the background knowledge they need to come to class so that we can have a robust conversation about whatever they had watched and really dive into the deeper conversation and then for them to do group work and problem solve and and do the stuff that is traditionally done for homework um, but do it in the class so that's why it was called the flip classroom because it was like flipping the dy- dynamic of homework and in class but to me the important part here is really bringing that like student ownership into the classroom. And so I think this same idea really holds true with like even meetings and a meeting culture that I'd love to see a shift in where, you know, maybe ahead of a meeting you get like an agenda with some bullet points and that's it. I'd love to see more of like leaders either sharing something that's more detailed, something where like maybe you're collecting um, people's responses ahead of time, giving them space, like you're, you're sharing a presentation and you're giving them space to respond um, within the presentation so that when you have a, the actual meeting that you can discuss all the answers, right? And so again, you're giving space for everybody to share and contribute their thoughts or even for leaders to create little videos, like a, a short video, of whatever those like nuts and bolts are so that when we come to the meeting, we can do the fun work. That's the more like collaborative stuff, the more, uh, connecting stuff and kind of offload some of that very one directional, you know, like the nuts and bolts stuff that just has to be delivered.
1: Yeah. And I see this in, in the education work that I do as well, where, where we're, we're also doing that where we're creating the videos and then using the class time for much more of a Q&A conversation um, approach. And I do think that that's something that at the end of the day, it's really meeting people where they're at, right? If you just create a bunch of lessons and then spend all of your time doing a one-way conversation to a group of people about here's where we're at and here's what's happening and don't give them the chance to have a dialogue around it, it misses this huge opportunity to actually see like, wait, are they keeping up, right? Are they, you know, when we're on lesson six, are they still on lesson three, right? And one of my favorite things in in what you're talking about and in my experiences as well is this, this realization that, um, you know, you could give someone all of the information that they need, quote unquote need, but if they're not ready to hear it yet, it's gonna just fall on deaf ears, right? And, and I do find that, you know what you're talking about here. This empathy and this calmer sort of tone that you're taking to the education process, and it's a, it's it's a collaborative approach too, rather than sort of a uh, people tend to think of learning as like do this or else fail, right? Like that kind of old school mindset. Um, mm-hmm. It really does allow you to adjust on the fly, and I think we see that with you know a lot of the. Biggest educators that are on the internet right now, they they spend a lot of time maybe doing live streams or doing much more collaborative, conversational things that are um, sort of meeting people where they're at with things. And a question might come up in a classroom that you never expected to discuss, and now all of a sudden that's going to take up a big piece of of the time with the students and give. Give them what they actually need to take action on that week. And I I think this is also where the introversion stuff comes up for me and why I'm so excited to chat with you about this stuff today, because in none of the career coaching materials, do they really address that side of things like different personality, introversion, extroversion, things like that in the job search. It's more so just like you have to network and that's what it is. Go do it. You have to apply and that's what it is. Go do it. But then I get into the classroom and, you know, they could have all the tactics in the world, but if they're anxious, nervous, depressed, insecure, they're not going to actually take action on these things, right? They're just going to know what they should do and then feel bad about themselves. And so how have you seen this shift the way learners are not just consuming the information, but feeling about themselves and their ability to learn?
0: Thank you for pointing all that out. It's so, you know, like we're just starting to dive in, I feel, to conversations about social emotional learning and the importance of it. But learning can't happen if the child's not in a good spot. Our work isn't optimized as adults if we're not in a good mental spot. I mean, it's just so important that we take care to think about the whole child, the whole learner, the whole person. Um, And so to me, confidence is really big. Helping students build confidence. I'm a math teacher. We all know that like students notoriously, like math is something that they feel underconfident about. And so one of my big goals was like, how do I shift that? And I think one of the things is getting to know my learners better, like getting to know them as individuals so that I can help them build strategies that really work for them. I can't determine that unless I know them on this really intimate level. And the way that I can do that is by seeing them actually working, by watching them, by observing, by hearing them. And again, I can only do that if I'm able to free myself up from the board at the front of the room. Another thing that you pointed out too, is just like this ability for individuals to find a pace that works for them best. So when we do use videos for pieces of information, that's something that can be watched as many times as somebody needs. It can be played at 1x speed, it can be played at 0.8x speed, it can be played at 1.5x speed. So really you get some control over the pace of that learning. You can pause, you can rewind, you can rewatch a section. Another important piece to me is that I do embed questions into the videos that I share. Um, my students are really developing their awareness of, of whether they understand the material or if they don't. I mean, how often have we been in that situation where we watch something, we watch somebody do it, we drive in a car and we're like, okay, I know where you're going cause you're driving. But until we get in the driver's seat, we don't really know where we're going. And so I think it's really important to embed those questions so they can self-check on the spot. They know when to rewind and I can help them kind of learn how to pace themselves another component is that i can get really valuable information from the students before they walk into the classroom kind of like your example of like going to whatever the student was confused on and really making a conversation on that when i embed the questions ahead of time in the video i see what the whole class had missed i see what questions are coming up um and i also see what individual student needs and so i can carve out class time based on those pre-analytics, those, that pre-information that I get. And I don't grade students on their homework. So they don't get like, if they miss almost all the questions but they gave a lot of effort. And I can tell that as a teacher, I can tell the effort level. They're not gonna get a bad grade on that. Like homework is a learning opportunity, but I need that information to know that that student needs extra support. And I should probably go over to them First, when students start to break out into their small groups for work. And so, you know, again, it's just like, how can we use this information? And then, too, if I'm providing space for them, if I'm embedding questions into the video, some of those are short answer. I try and always give questions where it's like, hey, what were you confused on? So, those kids who might be a little bit introverted, not want to ask a question in front of the whole class, they can ask me the question there in the video and then I can answer it in class. And then I have the kids who are, you know what, like they don't care. They don't wanna take the extra time to type it in while they're watching the video. They come to class and they're just gonna be asking a million questions. Well, they still have that opportunity. So, you know, just again, like changing up the, the forums and the formats for, for kids to be able to get what they need. And I think that helps them build confidence.
1: Yeah, it's casting that wide net, right? Because it, it sort of reminds me of that, like, there's no stupid questions rule, right? And really encouraging people to ask the, the obvious question that maybe they're too scared to ask, because they don't want to look stupid, right? And that obvious question that the one person finally does ask is actually the thing everyone in the class is confused about. But the teacher is so just close to the material that they don't realize that, oh, yeah, this would be a difficult thing for someone, right? Like, for me, with when I teach all this career development stuff, so much of it is so just deeply ingrained in me at this point, after decades of doing it, that it's, I forget that, oh yeah, when you first send an email to someone that you don't know, it's a, it's a pretty anxious experience or something like that. And um, so you really do have to encourage it and, and you're kind of giving, by giving multiple, by utilizing technology to give people multiple options to engage, you really are casting a wider net and getting more of those great questions. Uh, what are some of the big surprises that you've come across as you've created these additional channels? Like, Has there been any maybe individual that like really surprised you or, or a question you've gotten or something that has really stood out?
0: I think the most shocking thing is something that should be so obvious to me as a self-identified introvert and somebody who prefers to kind of script a response ahead of time but it's still shocking to me all the time. Um, what, there's every year I have that student who is so like, I don't start doing the video responses, like the heavy video responses until about a month into class. Cause I want, you know, to kind of just get everybody comfortable, kind of, you know, set the tone. And so I always have that really quiet student. And then all of a sudden I open up this video, like that they can, Chat to me over the video. Um, They can share with their peers over video. They can, you know, solve a problem over video, give them multiple options for things they do on the video. And that student who's super quiet, all of a sudden, I like, they're just the most, like, they're leaving the longest video responses. And it happens every year. And it never stops shocking me. And I can't tell you, there are two students that are distinct in my head who. I got to know in ways that I never, like I wouldn't have touched on the relationship that we were able to build. Like it wouldn't have even touched on it. Um, And there's just two distinct individuals who were just very, very quiet, but very loud on video. And for one of them in particular, they became such a class leader through those videos, because one of the assignments that I do on the video is that they all have to solve a math response. And then they kind of teach their classmates how to do whatever problem and and solve it. And they just like got this one student just got so into it every time. And was just a really like a, a teacher and, you know, in class, Yes. They were like, when people ask them a question, they were always like giving and and generous and, you know, did collaborative work, but they were just quiet in the classroom. It wasn't their thing where like somebody's confused, confusing. You know, you have that kid who like jumps in and it's like, Oh, I can help you. I can help you. They were never going to be that kid, but on video they were, they were putting out those, like the strongest lessons. And so, um, Yeah, I mean, I just try and remind myself of that all the time because sometimes it's like the simplest ideas that make the most profound difference.
1: We interrupt today's episode to let you know about Career Therapy's Unstuck Coaching Program. If you're feeling paralyzed by job search procrastination and unsure of what to do next in your career, we're here to help. Each month as a member, you will get access to two one-on-one coaching calls, unlimited virtual chat with your coach via Slack, invitations to bi-weekly group coaching sessions, and lifetime access to our eight-part job search curriculum. Want to take your search to the next level? Head over to careertherapy.com and schedule a free 15-minute consultation to chat with me today and see if coaching is right for you. Now, back to our show. And what do you think it is about video in particular, like being able to pre-record a video that gives people that ability to, to shine. Is it, do they have like multiple chances to record it? Do they like record it and edit? I know getting it to like really nitty gritty here, but um, in the, in the job search process, I find it so interesting because you're sort of challenged to do all of the communication styles, right? You have to have a resume, which is about concise writing, a cover letter, which is about more storytelling writing. You have to interview, which is the in-person, and then you sometimes they have video interviews with like a counting clock in the corner, which terrifies the hell out of people, myself included. Like they really put people through the ringer, um, homework assignments, and so on. But what what do you think it is about um, video? Is it do you think there's any generational aspects to it? Whereas younger people are becoming more fluent in video due to social media and things like that. Is it more personality-based? What what do you sort of think the, the, I guess, magic of video is?
0: Yeah. Um, I think that it is the ability to record, re-record if needed, um, watch like preview, also you learn from yourself when you rewatch your video. Um, I, you know, they're not thinking about that, but actually they're learning a ton by rewatching their video and like self-critiquing. And I think it really does improve their work and their ability to verbalize ideas. You know, like, what are you thinking? Really get into that. Um, so yes, I find that I, I spend so many styles of recording. So literally I have the kids who will take their phone and like, They'll be holding it up like this and they'll be just like pacing around the room and talking to the video, totally informal. I have kids who like, they did it at the study hall before class just started. Okay. And then I have the kids who like, they're you can tell they're reading off the screen. They had written up a whole script and they're like always recording in their room. So, you know, like you have the different styles. You also get to know a little bit about their personality. I, I think it's just that, that ability to like record, re-record if you need to. I do think that they're comfortable recording on video. Um, I've seen a big difference just in since I started doing this versus now in, in terms of like the comfort of just like even sitting down in front of a video and and being, you know, like conscious of like, is my hair done? You know, things like that. Um, I'll see students like recording to a teacher in a very informal environment and I'm fine with that not all teachers are and it's fine to like give your own expectations. I like it because I feel like I get insight into that student. I get further insight. So you know video is just one of those platforms that I find it, that's it's easier for me to see to get to know more about the student's personality. So I think that's why I tend to talk most about video, especially as a math teacher um, versus just written stuff where it's a little, harder for them to really express themselves fully
1: and when it comes to that that change right we're seeing people become more fluent in creating videos and content but do you see a change in the in-classroom experience at all or are people more are, are people becoming less and less confident in the classroom um kind of as like the video becomes more confident or are the dynamics in classrooms staying fairly consistent
0: well, I think there's a lot of shifts in the classroom, and I don't know how much of that is due to the pandemic and the increase in social media use among you know, our teenagers. Um, like attention spans are definitely changing, but it makes sense. like a four minute TikTok video is way too long, you know what I mean? So like them being used to something, Whereas like when I went to school, it's like, you're watching a half an hour TV show with commercials. If you want to watch something, there's no other option. So things are shifting dramatically. Um, and I don't think we have all the answers yet to really how to engage students and keep their attention. Um, it is an important thing to to train. You know, you were talking before too, about like when you do a job interview that you need to have all of these different skills to you know, express yourself in all this, these different ways. And as much as we've talked so much about using technology to like shift the game, um, to, you know, like allow students to be more comfortable in a platform that's most comfortable to them, I don't want to dismiss the importance of making sure that, you know, our learners are equipped for all different types of conversation. It's really important. Um, people have to be stretched outside of their comfort zone. And it is our job to, You know, help equip them in all the different types of formats that they might be responsible for um, communicating in. But I think it is important as leaders, as teachers, that we design inclusive um, and accessible conversations for all the different types of people so that we really are able to hear from all different types of voices. So I think we have to continue to practice as individuals to get comfortable you know, like, okay, yeah, I'm not the most comfortable going to a big conference. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to go to some of them, but it does mean that I'm not going to travel more days than I'm at home versus somebody else who's going to choose that format. So anyway, I think I got a little bit off topic there, but I just wanted to like, since you had pointed it out, I just wanted to make sure that, we, <laughs> that I said that out loud.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's, it's giving people the tools that work best for them and, giving them some exposure to everything so they can be ready for the world. Right. And I think this is maybe one of the areas that it's good that you're out there promoting this stuff so much because, um, there might, I'm curious, have you come across much pushback in regards to maybe from the older guard, let's say, um, uh, in, in how to teach in the ways that teaching has changed? Cause I think the pandemic really shook things up, right? What was your experience of, the pandemic and how it has shaken the, um, education world and what now that we're, you know, fingers crossed coming out the other side of it, um, what, what is sticking and what, is there any like pushback to go back to the old ways? What, what are you sort of seeing as like the general tenor of like the world of education right now?
0: Yeah. Um, it's it's a tough, I feel like it's a tough one to address right now. Cause there's a lot of like, this year was, I think the hardest year ever. Um, I think it was harder than last year for sure. Um, like my, my perspective and opinion on it, the amount of uncertainty, like I can't wait to get to a more certain school year. Um, just, you know, like thinking, thinking last year before going in that we kind of knew what was going to go on. And then, Things just shifted um, very quickly. Anyway, um, one of the things, like when you ask about pushback, I think there was a big like um, there's questions from parents. Um, like now I really share why I do what I do. And I feel like my voice has gotten out there enough that like it's very clear. Um, But I think for teachers, it's very important to like express why you're doing certain things. So when you're flipping your classroom, like what is the real need for that and how is it really working? Making sure that, you know, a parent who learned when they went to school by like sitting and getting lectured and thinking that lecture is really the best way to learn, then seeing their child now like learn material over video i think it's very easy for them not not i think i know um from experience that it is easy for them to assume that okay now the student's responsible for learning all the material on their own at home that's the way they learn and and that's not where the learning happens the most powerful learnings happening in the classroom, but it's very important to express like how you're really doing class, how conversation's happening. Um, So I think explaining the why, why you're doing this is essential so that parents can get on the same page. Because I think trust begins with parents um, when we're teaching teenagers uh, and younger, at least. And um, another aspect of it is, yeah, like trust from all like from students too, I, I only mentioned the parents, but like it's important to get the students on the same page and, and get them into that expectation because it's hard, it's hard to make a shift. So like even how do you take notes when you're watching a video? It's easy to assume that students, they watch videos all the time. They know how to do that. But in my experience, they don't. And so, you know, helping them learn how to pause, to play, to really take ownership for their learning is really important task. Um, I forget the second point that I was getting
1: at. Well, you're hitting on a couple of really key ideas here. Um, and I want to circle back to some of the things you mentioned earlier, which is you're, you're talking a lot right now about trust. And mm-hmm. prior, we were talking a lot about confidence and, you know, it is we're in different worlds with kind of similar overlaps uh, teaching different age groups, which is so interesting. And it, I just yeah. think it's so fun because so much of it is the same. Right. And I think like, You know, we're talking about teenagers here and we're talking about math and we're talking about the the educational learning environment, but everything you're saying translates in my mind to the people that I teach who are in their twenties and thirties and forties and (laughs) fifties. And it's, it really is interesting to sit there and hear you say the words trust and confidence, because that again is the same exact thing that I'm experiencing where people don't trust themselves they 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 learn the thing and then they don't trust that they actually know it, right? Or they haven't put it into practice. Maybe you even have a, a little more hands-on because you have tests and things like that. But in in the world that I'm in, you know, people feel like unless they're being paid for the thing that they've learned, that they haven't learned it. That's a general imposter syndrome idea that comes up a lot. And I have to continually mm-hmm. remind people that learning it is part of doing it. And this the process of doing something begins with exposure and learning and engaging in conversation and the conversation is actually as big a piece as even the consumption of the learning right and and i always find that like this is maybe one of the things that technology for me has been a disconnect because i listen to tons of books on you know audiobooks and podcasts and there's so much learning in all of that stuff but then I'd turn around and I'm like, wait, who do I talk to about this <laughs> so that it can like sink in. Right. And some of the best ways to learn something is to teach someone else how to do it. Right. I've always found that to be true of myself. And, and in the learning environment, I see it all the time where people really get to know something when they mentor someone else. And so we encourage job seekers who maybe went through a a program to learn how to get into cybersecurity or how to get into coding or something like that. We say, go mentor the next group of students, go teach this to someone else in the class, like talk to each other and help each other out. Because I do think that like trust in yourself and confidence in yourself also comes from collaboration, conversation, and, and a, passing it on as well. So you, you might have two people in a classroom, one knows something better than the other, the other knows something else better than the other, they talk to each other, now both of them are twice as uh, improved in their learning. And, you know, I, I'm really curious, is that something you're seeing with this? Are there like chat rooms that the students get to talk to each other in? Like, where is that sort of cross-collaborative learning happening and what's that been like for you?
0: Peer-to-peer learning is essential. And I think that, I think a teacher always knows that, that, you know, they're teaching three blocks of the same material. It goes third block of the day is so easy, so easy that you like, you know, you cover it in half the time, but it's so easy, not only because you just did it twice, but also because like you got the questions, you heard the questions that the other class was Asking, you know, that those things are percolating in the kids' minds, you know, like you know what to address going into it. You also have had that practice of just like verbalizing and and saying it out loud. And I think that's one of the things that actually builds a lot of confidence. And that's something that when I'm teaching students how to study, something that I find that they don't actually know how to do oftentimes, even in my high level classes is like really how to study and prepare. And that's why their confidence is lacking. And so simple strategies that I have for them, like making a pretest, taking the pretest timed, putting away all your notes, just like doing that to get game ready. Like you do, you know, I always, a lot of my students are athletes. And so they always, they know what they need to do to prepare for a game, to prepare for a match. Like they have all this prep work that they do that's very like regimented and routine, but then coming into a test, they don't always use that same like, all right, let's get game ready kind of mentality. They're just like, okay, I need to study my notes. Like just studying your notes, in my opinion, doesn't get you confident because you haven't done some of those things that just make you feel like, okay, I've practiced this. I've like done this scenario. And then the other piece, which really goes into the peer-to-peer learning, like we were talking about, we're gonna go back to the videos again. Sorry, but I have students make a video response. So, um, like maybe we'll have ten questions that we're doing for test review. Then those are the ten questions that students need to answer, and they need to make a re- video reply to that. So they like in detail have to teach everybody else in the class how to do that problem. When they're recording the video, one of the reasons I think it really taps into this confidence piece you're talking about is because again, like the power of video is that you have to be able to verbalize and express everything. So, you know, when they're like, say they write out their math answer on a piece of paper and then they go to make their video and they're like sharing, like this is how you get from step one to step two. This is how you get from step two to step three. And then all of a sudden you hear them like pause and they like skim over the next step. And then they're like, okay, and this is how you get from six. And so in that moment, if I'm doing these, uh, sometimes I do these way ahead of the test. And then I'm able to like catch the student and be like, well, that was a little bit skimmed over, but they develop a self-awareness as they do this of like, um, I couldn't really explain that step. And so right there, they're like, you know what, that's a step they would have missed on the test because they were probably consulting their notes and that's how they got the next piece of the equation. Right. But if they hadn't, taken the time to just like sit and think about how they're gonna explain this to a peer, they wouldn't have learned that. And then the other power is the students that are watching them do this video. Now they're getting tips from a peer. And so I'm explaining it as kind of like an expert, right? Like I'm far removed from that moment where it was really challenging and difficult. They're very close to that moment. They know the pain points that their peers are experiencing. And so when they solve the problem, they can say with total sincere empathy, like, oh, I know this part's hard. And that's going to resonate with their classmates because that part is hard for them in that moment. And they're able to call it out and address it and slow it down right there.
1: And it also it also helps them realize they're not the only one who's struggling with that. And I think that that's such a big piece to the confidence part. Um, I do group coaching uh, with all of my students because, or all of my clients, because um, I, a lot of times they'll just repeat back something that we had talked about in a one-on-one session or something. One of my favorite things is when someone thinks that they come up with something that we've talked about before. And I'm like, Well, I mean, we discussed that, but you go ahead and believe that you came up with it. Like, I'll let you have that win. (laughs) And like, that's perfect for me. I'm cool with that. And it's like, there is this power in hearing it from someone going through the same situation as you. And I think like, even a concept that maybe was in the curriculum- being re-expressed as though the person is like, oh, well, I had an interview yesterday and this is what came up. Or, you know, in the te- in your case, like, well, you know, when I was doing this homework problem, here's what came up. Even if it's, um, you know, something that everyone in the, in the group has learned before hearing it from the perspective of someone who's in the same emotional place as you, I think is huge. Cause it, 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 reduces that I'm the only one struggling with this. I'm the only one who's, and then that's that like negative spiral where it's like, well, if I'm the only one who's struggling with this problem, that must mean that I stink. And then all of a sudden you've got like the cascading belief that I can't do this, which impedes your ability to learn and to execute and things like that. And I also really like what you're saying of like getting off script. Um, I'll, I'll do mock interviews with people all the time and they'll literally have like scripted answers to questions on their screen that they're reading to me. And so I'll either change the question on them just to mix it up or I'll say like, you have to throw the script out. Um, and and I think that again, this goes back to learning styles. I had someone actually this morning and they said, uh, I have a bunch of interviews coming up and I scripted out all my answers. And then I read that, you know, I did a little mock interview with some fa- friends and family And they told me that I sounded too scripted. I think I screwed up. I should have done bullets instead of scripting. I'm like, no, 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 you didn't screw up. You needed to script. All you need now is to remove the script. If you want to do bullets too, that's great. But I also think people get really down on their learning styles because they feel like they should learn a certain way or they should be. It should come more naturally, or like there's all these shoulds, right? And when we're talking here as educators, I really, I I, again, I appreciate that you brought up the word confidence because it really is the core of someone's your belief in being able to pass the test. As I think there was a study once where they had someone they had they they did an actual study with people going into a test saying like really positive things or negative things, like not even related to the test, just positive and negative phrases and it dramatically changed the scores. And so really helping people keep that positive mindset, I think is so important. And you had talked earlier about getting people comfortable and setting the tone in the first few weeks before having them do a lot of these um, videos and things like that. What is your approach to getting people comfortable and setting that tone? And what sort of tone specifically are you trying to set?
0: Yeah, so I'm a big, routine person I I believe in routines for myself personally and for my students I challenge my students a lot um I'm an AP calculus teacher um so you know we have hard stuff to cover we have a lot to cover um but I like to just kind of like here's the expectations we we set them from like day one they're going to be challenging to, you know, learn and develop, but we're going to develop it slowly so that as the material gets harder, you're just going to be like repeating the same procedure. So they know when they come into class, like every day is kind of the same type of a thing. Like they watch a video for homework. They come into class. The expectation is that they have their notes on their desk, that they have a little warm up that we're going to do together And then they're going to do group work and we'll do some type of a closing activity. And like every day is that same format every day. I want them coming into class, having their notes on the desk, like every night that they go home for homework, more or less, they know that like they have this video to watch and they know that they can like over the course of the week kind of time when they have more time to do things and less time. So I feel like um, kind of like at the beginning of the year, just getting them used to that format while the material is a little bit easier because we usually start with something that's a little bit more of a review tone or just a little bit easier to handle, you know, it's the beginning of, of the year. And while we're doing that, kind of just share some of the tools, but like kind of ramp them up. When I start the video, I usually start it usually started as like private ones where, I'm the only one that sees the video. So they get used to that. And then I do ones where like everybody responds. And then maybe a couple months into that, then we start doing peer critiques of the videos. So it's just like a gradual, like you get more comfortable making the video. Okay. So now let's allow all your peers to watch a video. Okay. Now you're more comfortable making the videos and seeing what your peers are doing. Let's talk about what critiquing a video is actually like and how to give really effective feedback. So just kind of like ramping things up, but don't forget, like you think that students use all this technology and they're comfortable with all of it. It can be very easily overwhelming to them also. So I just do believe in that power of like starting slow and, and gradually ramping things up.
1: Yeah. And I think that that really translates because, you know, with the job search, I think people tend to think I'm either good at it or I stink at it. Right. And I mean, you're working with people at an age where they know, of course, I need to learn this. Right. (laughs) Of course, this isn't something that I know I've never taken AP Calc before, but with the job search, most people that I work with, they've had a job before. So they're like, well, I'm just terrible at networking. I'm just terrible at this thing. And again, that's self-belief. I think is a really limiting factor. And really what it should be is just, can I get slightly better at talking to people over video chat? Can I get slightly better at writing? Can I get slightly better at, you know, selling myself or whatever the thing might be. So I really appreciate you kind of breaking it down in that way. Um,
0: I think too, can I just mention that I feel like it's so easy to look at what other people are sharing and think that people did that overnight. I mean, for me, like it, and I actually very conscious of this. And in in my book, when I wrote it, I wrote an eight year timeline of my evolution of onboarding technology. And I just shared that like my first year, all I did was like make video lessons. That took me a year. The second year I thought about like shifting up class format. The third year I started embedding questions into the videos, but it's been a progression of years and years for me. And I think it's easy to see these, you know, social media influencers and all these people that seem to come up overnight. And yes, there's been a couple of overnight successes, but the majority of the people who have like made it, it's taken years and years and years of work to get to that spot. And so, I don't think it comes overnight. And a lot of learning happens. And a lot of people, they don't put all of the learning that they're doing behind the scenes to learn how to make the videos or like making a TikTok video doesn't come naturally to everybody. Like there are courses for this that people are taking. So there's a lot of learning that does happen. And it, for most people, I think takes years and years to build that network of a hundred followers to a couple hundred followers to maybe a thousand to then a thousands, you know, it just, it takes time.
1: Absolutely. And you can get a lot of success, even at the early places. You know, I think a lot of people think they need 10 million followers or whatever in order to be successful. No, there's like success at every level to be had. And and so I appreciate you kind of calling that out. And then to that point, where do you see things going? Because it's not done yet, right? Your, your work is far from over. So what are you most excited about looking forward in regards to technology and education and how we can include more voices?
0: Yeah, so one of my biggest goals is, um right now and why I'm also just like really excited to talk to you um, because it's like a little bit outside of just like the traditional K-12 education space um, that I normally talk in, but like how can we create more inclusive, equitable environments that really empower every voice? And I think that we can leverage such simple technology tools to really change the game, um, not just in the classroom, also in work environments for leaders. I think it's just so important to remember that everybody loses when we don't hear from all voices, when we don't hear everybody's idea represented the amount of times that, you know, somebody like, you know, when you said this, this resonated so strongly with me, the amount of times that I've sat in a meeting and because of the way I am, I like to script that response in my head. So I'm like scripting the response in my head. Somebody asked a question, scripting the response in my head. and thinking about it during that time. I haven't heard all this wonderful conversation that's gone on. Whereas like, you could have simply solved this question for me or solve this problem for me by like giving me a couple bullet points ahead of time. I could have kind of pre-thought about things. Like I don't need it super scripted. I don't need, I'm not reading line by line. I just like my mind gets into this like space where I like have to just think. And I think a little bit in circles before I'm ready to like say it out loud, right? And so just give me that like conversation starter and I would be a different person at that meeting. I would be so much more present at that meeting. Um, and so, yeah, like creating more inclusive environments through very simple tech tools, um, to, again, like empower all different voices and ideas and allow us to like hear the wonderful things that everybody in the room is thinking. Um, yeah, that's one of my biggest goals right now.
1: That's awesome. And and it's becoming, more and more possible. And that's what's so cool with everything that you're talking about. Uh, As we wrap up here today, where can people find out more about your work, follow along and and engage with what you're doing?
0: Yeah, thanks. Um, I have a website that's techymusings.com. Has all of my, you can find me everything you need there. Um, Also for, since we're talking about connection, I'm on LinkedIn um, which is how I met you. And then I'm also on Twitter at buddy XO.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Stacy. I really appreciate your time and uh good luck teaching all those kiddos.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Thanks for joining us for today's episode. If you found this conversation to be helpful, please like and subscribe wherever you are listening. We also appreciate it if you take the time to leave us a review on iTunes. It really does help us spread the word and get these ideas out to more job seekers looking to build their careers and improve their lives just like you. If you'd like to learn more about career therapy and see our different coaching options, you can head over to careertherapy.com to learn more thank you again for stopping by. We wish you all the best in the future of your career. Have a good one.